I hit rock bottom very early. I, I'm now I'm thankful for it. Like like we talked about, you know, bad things happen for a reason. You know, so good things can happen. So we have to take our step back on our own and let them fail. And that is not easy to do. It's really hard to do. And that's that's a big thing. Apogee is is being honest, teaching through failure. Right. Without failure, you're never going to learn. And if you're not failing, you're you're not trying. Welcome to the Fathers of Greatness podcast. We are creating a community of men, fathers, and husbands who are pursuing greatness and refusing average. It is up to us to change the future, and it starts at home. Welcome back to another episode of the Fathers of Greatness podcast. Today, I'm joined with a friend of mine, Darren Hazel, who is a Apogee brother. We are going to have an episode designated just for Apogee Strong, but it is a men's program. It's a leadership program, mentorship program for 12 months. Darren and I are both in that program. We've gained so much this year, and I've connected with Darren to learn a little bit more about his story. And after hearing his story, I knew he would be a great person to have on this podcast because he has a lot to share. He's overcome a lot, and he's doing incredible things in this world to give back with the lessons he's learned in his life. So. Darren, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Yeah, thank you for uh, letting me be here. It's the first time I've been on a podcast or anything, so it's it's pretty awesome to be able to uh, do with you and an Apogee brother and someone on a good mission like you're on. So it's, uh, it's pleasure's all mine. Absolutely. And as the listeners are starting to realize, uh, probably by now, a lot of the guests are high level people, men's coaches, authors, speakers, entrepreneurs, and they're sort of further along in their journey than maybe you and I, but I think it's very powerful to talk to men that might be in the earlier chapters of their legacy, their journey, what they've overcome, because the average listener is a lot like us, right? They're a dad, they want to grow, they don't know where to start, and they're starting to realize that this podcast is for kind of the quote unquote average dad that doesn't want to be average anymore. No. And that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. And starting, starting is always the hardest part. Everyone, um, all the fitness geniuses always say it, the heaviest weight in the gym is the door. Wow. Starting is the hardest part. So yeah, to be able to talk to people who are starting, it's, uh, it's the best way to learn how to start is with people who are starting. I love that. I love that. So take us back, man, to your childhood. Talk to us a little bit about what that was like for you. So I'm 26 now. Uh, I grew up in the Texas Panhandle in a really small town, uh, 2,000 people. I don't even think there's a stoplight there. My parents divorced whenever I was four, and then my dad remarried, and I lived with my dad, my stepmom, three step siblings, and my blood sister uh, my whole life. My mom signed over her rights to me and my sister whenever I was seven, and then I didn't see her for eight years. Um, from seven to 15, I didn't see her, and then at 15, we were able to reconnect through her and my sister. Passing some uh, underground railroad type mail, it was pretty cool what they pulled off. It was it was really cool. And then going into my sophomore year, we moved to Wyoming, and uh, that was kind of like the first time in my life I really felt like lost. I guess sure, I was very angry. I did not want to leave everything I had, you know, sports, friends, school. I was very angry to leave, and I uh, held a lot of resentment for it, and I didn't really understand what was going on. I just remember being very angry. Graduated high school, just okay. barely. I struggled in school. I hated it. I had no purpose for it, no mission for it. I just hated it. I just couldn't wait to get out of it. So I eventually got out of it. 
and then moved right back home right after graduation. And then I joined the army from there. And again, I had felt like some control in my life because after I graduated high school, I realized I had no control. So I was going to be happy whenever I got back home. I wasn't. I was just being a stupid kid, not doing anything productive. Joined the army, felt like I had some control, some momentum, some stimulation in my life. Deployed, and it was great. I had a purpose. I had control. I had stimulation. Everything going good that a young man really needs. A lot of right. A lot of um, stimulation, I guess. For sure. And then after deployment, I realized the army was like pretty boring for me. It was a bunch of you know motor pool sweeping and not not really fun stuff that I was wanting to do. So I got bored again, and then quickly turned to like drugs and alcohol. And the army was not too keen on that, so they discharged me. And then that was in 2019. I was discharged, so I was in just a little over two years. And then from discharge, my life really took a pretty hard spiral from that. I immediately, I mean, overnight, I lost a sense of purpose, a sense of identity, a sense of self. I lost all control, all stimulation, all motivation, and just drank more and more and more. Uh, luckily, my sister gave me a dog. Second, Ruby has saved my life. Ruby wow. is the, the best dog ever. He's a little German Shepherd. Uh, my wife hates her, but uh, she hates my wife, but it's, it's out of love. Right on. Right on. <laughs> Your dog. Yeah, yeah, she is That's too. That's awesome. And then uh, after that, after a couple of dark years on my own with just me and my dog, I met my wife uh, while I was visiting my best friends in the Army, actually. Uh, Willie, I was visiting him and his wife and their boy. We met, started talking online then, and uh, she picked me up. We never met in person. She picked me up from the airport in Dallas on the way home on just a whim of, a, hey, you know, this thing's going good. How about you pick me up from the airport? And she did. Wow. And um, yeah, from that day on, uh, she really, yeah, she really flipped the switch for me. She she truly saved my life, her and her son, and now my son, uh, yeah, 100% saved my life. With, without question, uh, things were getting really dark really fast, and uh, yeah, she flipped the switch. She flipped the light on. That's amazing. And That's now, awesome, uh, man. Now we're here a few years yeah. later. Absolutely. Life's good now. I love it. I love it. You've overcome a lot. So when you were seven mm-hmm. and your mom took off, mm-hmm. what what was those eight years like? Were you did you have so many questions? Were you hurt? Did you could you even know. feel it? No, no. I don't remember a lot of my childhood, honestly. I remember being like very probably confused. I don't really remember being angry. Probably confused. But uh honestly, I don't. I just don't remember a lot of my childhood. Sure. Um, I know I was super excited whenever she came back. Sure. Whenever my sister got with me, it was like, hey, you know, we've been writing letters back and forth. She wants to talk to you. I, I was Johnny on the spot. I was writing letters in school, you know, middle of English class. Instead of writing the essay, I was writing letters to my mom. So it was, it was great whenever she came back, and it was like we never skipped a beat. Really? It was a little bit awkward, but yeah, it was like we never skipped a beat. So what was, her, what was her reasoning for, for leaving? I don't know. Okay. Um, she's offered... To explain it to me, but it's, I don't want to know. Sure. It's dead in the past. It's dead in the water. She's yeah. offered her side up to me. My dad's offered his side up to me, and I don't hold any resentment over either one of them. Um, it's just dead and gone. We can't yeah. go back and fix it. We can only go forward. So very early on, I realized I don't, I don't care what happened. Sure. It's, it's over with. We have to go forward now. It's her journey. It's her past. Yep. You've forgiven her. She's forgiven herself. Yep. And you're a great man today. So yeah. That's all that matters. It, it turned out for the better, for sure. Yeah. If, if had bad things not happened, um, you know, good things probably don't happen either. Right, right. So you were in the Army, mm-hmm. and when you first joined, you were talking about how it gave you purpose, it gave you identity. And so that was a good time. Yeah. That was a time where you felt fulfilled. Yep. But 
why and how did the drugs and alcohol sneak in during that time for you? Well, a little bit of it was boredom. Honestly, I, I don't know. I know there's some addiction sides like in my family that run kind of in the blood, but that was never me. Um, even like in school, I was never a partier. Like we talked about earlier, I played a lot of video games in sports. I wasn't a big partier. I definitely didn't do many drugs in high school. You know, smoke to doobie every now and give him some strength, sure. but it wasn't it wasn't a part of me. You weren't a really, druggie. You uh, weren't a partier. Yeah. No, not at all. I was, I was like very rare to go to parties actually. Um, so I, I don't know how it captivated me so quickly, but it, I mean, it did. As soon as I found drugs and alcohol, I was, I was completely addicted to the full sense, and it really changed how I viewed addiction and addicts, I guess. Um, it was a very strange, strange time. That that didn't help the situation at all because I didn't realize what was going on. Right. I would imagine in the first couple of weeks that you were engaging in that, mm-hmm. you didn't realize the danger at that time. No, not at all. It always starts fun. Yep. And what I tell my kids is that these dark roads that people go down and ultimately they lead in death, Mm -hmm. if we're going to be honest, they always start as what I call no big deal, right? Going to drink a few beers with your buddies at a bar is in our society, it's no big deal. Yep. Right. Some people can obviously drink uh, in moderation. And I mean, me personally, I don't drink at all because I'm an all or nothing guy. <laughs> you don't want it or need it in my life, but some people can, but I think a lot of men, especially we're, we're pretty gung ho, you know, by nature. And so we're kind of all in. So what were the drugs that you were taking? Uh, to, to be honest, I don't know what it was. Uh, me and several friends had them. Um, we could never figure out what they were. Pills. No, no, it was some sort of, it was in a vape. It was some sort of like inhalant. Okay. Um, we believe it was spice to make the story even worse. We have no idea what it was that sure. we were I mean, ingesting hand over you, foot. You found it, you up. tried it and you thought, I'm going to keep doing this. Yep. This is fun. Yep. And then it became, you know, like you said, it started out as no big deal. It was fun on the weekends. And then that slowly, quickly turns into an everyday thing, which quickly turns into an all day thing. And then before you, before you even realize it, I, your life's consumed by it and you don't realize it until somebody points it out in you. And I'm lucky enough to have people around me who pointed it out in me. Right. Um, some very hard phone calls from my sister and my mom who I, I love them to death. And for them to call me out on stuff, uh, was uh, very hard. Sure. And that was, that was a big wake up call at the time it was like, okay, this is, this is not going well. And seeing pictures and things like that, I realized like, this is not, I'm not who I was. Uh, my nieces, my nephews meant everything to me. And then seeing pictures with them and like knowing how I was in those pictures, stuff like that's didn't sit right with me at all. So like, this is, this is not who I am. This is, I don't know how this happened, but this can never happen again. Right. This is it. Right. In Apogee, we talk about being the best version of yourself. Yep. And essentially, you were becoming the worst version of yourself. Mm-hmm. I hit rock bottom very early. I, I'm Now I'm thankful for it. Like, like we talked about, you know, bad things don't have or bad things happen for a reason, you know, so good things can happen. Now I'm very thankful I hit rock bottom at such an early age that I could still right my wrongs. I can still right. get back on track early enough before it became too bad for my life went too far. Right. But you have to catch the lesson mm-hmm. or else you're unstoppable, mm-hmm. you know, because we all have a friend or family or somebody we know that has or does struggle with addiction and you can't change them. Right. They have to change. And 
thank God, right, that you were teachable and you could look in the mirror and be honest and say, look, those pictures with my nieces and nephews were good times. Mm -hmm. I was a good man mm -hmm. and I'm becoming somebody different. Mm -hmm. So you recognized it. That's awesome because you're blessed for that because a lot of people don't, right? And it continues to go in a bad direction. Yep. So it's a very hard, uh, hard conversation to have with yourself in the mirror. And it's usually late at night whenever you don't want to have the conversation. But at some point, I believe everyone has the moment where you look in the mirror and you realize like, this is not good. Everyone, everyone's been down some sort of bad path, whether, you know, it's weight gain or, or drugs and alcohol or a rut in life. Everyone comes to that point where you look in the mirror and realize you're not becoming the man you want to be. You're not living like you want to live. And it's time to make a change. And it's, that's a really pivotal moment because you either buy in full sale to how you're living and you continue downhill or you realize this has to change. And that's the moment that you either make the change or you, you keep going downhill. And I think everyone has that, you know, come to Jesus moment, if you right, will. Right. Everyone has that moment in the mirror. I love it. So talk to me about the process of being discharged from the army and what that did for you, you know, mentally and emotionally? Uh, I fought it. So whenever they first told me I was going to be discharged, I fought it um, to try and stay in. And then there were some weird things that happened. But ultimately, I got out. Um, I was discharged in May 2019. And then uh, immediately went back home. Um, I moved in with my sister in Houston. And then found a job back around home living with my brother at the time. And had you quit? Drinking? Yes. Yeah. So at the time, I once I realized I was getting kicked out of the army and you know getting discharged and things weren't going good, um, I quit for a long time. I quit uh, cold turkey, uh, drugs and alcohol both. Uh, withdrawals like crazy. It was a really dangerous thing to do, but I knew that's what I had to do. I knew there was no there was no option to taper off or anything like that. I knew I had to just quit, or else I was never going to. Right. So I made the decision to just quit, and then. Uh, Went through the whole process, became the stellar soldier again, um, served my time, remaining well, fought my case to try and stay in. And then ultimately, I was not able to stay in. And then whenever I got back home, I was still living straight, doing what I needed to be doing, not drinking, no drugs. And I never really got back into drugs again. But pretty quickly after getting home and getting on my own, uh, started drinking a lot again. Got it. And then... Uh, so at first you quit, but then you fell back into it. Yep. As soon as I got home and... Getting out of the army was really exciting. It's like, oh, great. You know, I get to be back home, get to be around my family, my friends again. And I realized I hated it. And I was back right where I'd started, right back where I joined the army to get away from. Um, right back there, you know, as, as I saw myself a failure. So then I started drinking again to try and cope with that. And then alcohol really just consumed my life for the next couple of years after that. Sure. Okay. And so now talk to me about meeting your wife. Right. Because let's admit a lot of good women make us better men. Yep. You know, very true for me, for my marriage and, and my wife. She constantly inspires me to do better, be better, have better. Nope. It's beautiful when it's the right girl, the right thing. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So I, tell, I was, tell me uh, about that, that, that process. I was the one in my family that swore I was never going to get married, swore I was never going to have kids. Um, I think my family started to believe it. I really think that they all believed it. And yet, no kids for me, no marriage for me. I'm I'm good with my dog. I was that guy. And then uh, I had no intentions on finding anybody. wasn't looking to find anybody. And my brother always told me, like, you'll find her whenever she's whenever you're not looking. You'll find her. Sure. All right. So I quit looking. 
And uh, sure enough, she just randomly added me on Facebook one day and I, I messaged her while I was visiting my friends in North Carolina at Fort Bragg. And uh, yeah, she picked me up from, from Dallas at the airport and uh, I instantly, uh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. She was the one like that was wow. going to give her my all. Um, I was going to, going to fix myself because I knew that that was my last shot. Yes. That was my last shot at, at a marriage and a relationship, but that was, that was my last shot at life. And, wow. and I knew that, that if I had one more thing go wrong, that it was, things were going to end pretty quickly. So I knew that any ounce of effort of willpower I had left in me, I knew had to go into her and our relationship. And it wasn't much. <laughs> she had every reason to not put up with me, but uh, she did, which that. Uh, by the grace of her heart, she did. And uh, it, she truly saved my life. Just in a couple months of us being together, I met her son. And that boy, uh, still to this day, has me wrapped around his finger. And he, That's he knows amazing. it. That's amazing. <laughs> so your boys are five and yep. a year and a half? Yep. Okay. Two boys? Yep. Awesome. Cooper. Awesome. Yeah, another boy dad here. So talk to me now about the last year, right? Because you and I are both part of the Apogee Strong program together, mentorship program for dads, helping us be better, be the leaders we're called to be in our home, right? Be honest with ourselves, step up our game, do what it takes to lead our families. You know, there's guys losing weight. There's guys buying rental properties. There's guys starting businesses. There's guys rekindling marriages that were on the brink of divorce. There's some incredible things happening in this program uh, with Matt Baudreau and Tim Kennedy, who founded the program. And so you and I are just two stories of hundreds of men that have been impacted by this. So for you, it, I feel like it's been a, a pivotal thing mm -hmm. that only pushed your momentum. You know, you married your wife, life's been getting better. You've been, you know, changing your habits and, and developing who you are. But talk to me about what Apogee Strong has done for you as a man in the last 12 months. It couldn't have came along at a better time. That's for sure. Um, like I said, I, I picked myself up. We got together, started straightening my life out. It was, it was still really rough around the edges, but I was on the uphill. And then found Apogee at the, at the right time, uh, whenever I was ready to catch fire and run downhill. And I found it, got into it. And yeah, this year has been by far the most pivotal of, of all 26 years of my life. This year has definitely been the most impactful. Wow. Um, we moved way away out of our comfort zone to be closer to it, to get us a new fresh start, to really dive more into it. I've never been this intentional about something in my life. I knew I wanted to get better. I wasn't sure how to do it, but it seemed like a good option. And uh, it's definitely a risk I'm really glad I took. Uh, this year has been, yeah, the, the most impactful I ever could imagine. Made me a better man, a better leader, better husband, better father. And it's really changed the way I, I view the world. Uh, the big thing I think men really fall into is we think we're alone. Whenever you're a good man, you're living the good man life, you really feel like an outcast because unfortunately there's not many of us anymore. Right. Especially if you're not connected in this world, you you really think you're it. And as I started to make myself better and get better, I quickly found out like I was the only one around me willing to play this game and to better myself. So I felt really alone. And then Apogee showed me, it's, oh, no, there's 150 men in the first class. Oh, great. I'm not alone at all. This is totally yeah. normal for, yeah. for so many people. This way of life and self-betterment, self-growth is normal for so many people. So it was really a big permission thing for me. It's, it's for okay sure. to live this way. You're not a weirdo for living this way. You're not an outcast for living this way. You are doing the right things. It was a big 
big uh, big moment like that for me, a permission thing and a realization thing that I'm not alone in this world. And this world's not as bad as I thought it was. It's not great. We're obviously not heading in a good direction. But with programs like Apogee and podcasts like this, men like yourself, we're we're getting there. We're Absolutely. we're starting to turn the page. The the wheels are starting to spin in our direction. People are starting to wake up. Men are starting to hear the hear the calling, and they're starting to answer the phone. And I mean, we're like four classes deep in Apogee now. Right. Wow. That's that's a lot of families. That is a lot of families. That is a lot of men and, and young men like like your son and my sons who are getting to follow these examples. Right. So the the program it's catching fire and it's doing. It, Ten years we're gonna we're gonna see. Big, big, big things come from this program because of the men like you talked about who are doing incredible things in just one year. Right. And it's it's nothing heroic anybody's doing. I mean, nobody, I mean, maybe aside from Tim, is literally saving the world right. and everybody's saving their own world. And exactly. then by everybody doing that together, the the world ends up getting saved. Right, right. And there's something inside of men where there's times in our lives where we feel lost, we feel a lack of purpose. And we don't really know what we're looking for necessarily at times, but we know that we're looking, mm-hmm. right? And so Apogee Strong has been a huge piece of the puzzle for a lot of men for what they knew they were missing. They just didn't know what they were missing. Mm-hmm. So now that this brotherhood has been around for about a year, I like to say that we all speak the same language, yes. right? We, we're massively it. accountable. We're brutally honest with who we are, where we're at, whether it's our finances, our fitness, our marriage, our fatherhood, our businesses. And it's so refreshing because I feel like they nail the majors, mm-hmm. right? The majors inside of a man that makes a man great need to be discussed. Mm-hmm. And that's every week, that's what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. So for you personally, through this program, what has been some of the character traits or things that have developed inside of you where you didn't necessarily have those a year ago? Uh, Matt said a a good thing one time. He said, uh, self-confidence is really just self-awareness. So it's, you gain confidence by your self-awareness of, like Hormozzi said, an undeniable stack of proof that you are who you say you are. And with, with the challenges that we do each month and with the accountability that we hold ourselves to, it's given me the self-confidence in myself to prove to myself that uh, I am a good man. I am, you know, worthy of raising kids and having a great wife. I am worthy of having a good life. But I think men oftentimes, especially today's where we fall, you know, in the victim mentality and everybody, uh, woe is me. We forget that, you know, we're still in charge of our own life. We we do deserve a good life if we're willing to live it. And it just takes that personal accountability to actually take the steps necessary to get that good life. Sure. And so it's given me, like I said earlier, the permission thing to chase the bigger, better things in life, to chase, you know, the more money so I can give back more things. Everybody, I feel like is a philanthropist at heart, but it's only for the rich people. Sure. And so learning how to do these kind of things, how to do it at a smaller scale has been huge. Absolutely. If you can't give a million dollars, give one. Right. Right. It's do something. My mm-hmm. dad always said, do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you want to do, you want to change a million lives, change one, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that story has been, been applicable for my life too. So earlier when you talked about your childhood and even after you were in the army, you talked about boredom, right. And how that led to 
you know, drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about that because I think boys and men need a purpose. Yeah. And so the dangers of not having that purpose can lead to bad things. So tell me about how that's been true for you. Without that, uh, men are instinctually um, aggressive, um, doers, go-getters, a STEM junkies are, are most men, and we you have to you have to scratch that itch somewhere. For some men, it's it's working, you know, relentless hours every week. For some men, it's it's health and fitness. For some men, it is you know business, work, whatever it may be. But you have to fill that void somewhere, and if you don't, it's going to get filled by something negative. And for a lot of people, it gets filled with the drugs and the alcohol because it's it's a stimulant to the brain. It gives you something to do. Um, you're either all in or you're all out. And so, whenever most people start drinking, especially if they don't have any stimulation anywhere else, that's that's usually how they got it, and that's how I got my stimulation. What from the drinking and the drugs, it gave me something to do. So whenever I quit all that. I had to find some other way to get stimulated because as a kid, I had sports to stimulate me. I played a lot of video games that were highly stimulating. The army is obviously extremely stimulating. And then you get out and you lose it, especially whenever you go from like even just being an athlete, something highly stimulating, and you go to working a day job. Nine to five is really boring whenever you're used to, you know, running into people in football or, or running up and down the court or hitting a baseball. That's really stimulating. Sure. You go to work a nine to five and it's boring. Right. So you have to you have to find that stimulation. And I was able to find mine through fitness, growth, and now ultra running. Um, wow. Uh, growth is uh, once you start reading and you start realizing all these holes in your life, and you can start plugging them in. It gets it gets to be really exhilarating, and you start to see yourself getting better in different areas. You know, your wife is happier to see you. Your kids are happier to see you. They want to play with you more. Your wife wants to sleep with you more. It just life gets better. She wants you to take her out on a date more rather than oh hey honey you're home. It, right. That's not fun, but the growth is fun, and you start to see the pieces fall in. That becomes fun, and then the gym, like getting fit, is. Trust me, if you, if you want to be stimulated, I mean, go put 250 pounds in, on top of your face and try and push it up. But right. if you're not stimulated there, you're going to die. Right. So right. that's a really easy way to get stimulated, and it's really healthy for you to do, and you're going to get better for it. And what they say, most guys that teach this, they say that fitness is the gateway, mm-hmm. sort of the gateway to all self-development. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating because I didn't really put that piece together till you started using the word stimulation. But as a father of four boys, I'm very aware that, you know, <laughs> we call it energy, we call it bouncing off the walls, mm-hmm. we call it chaos or these negative words. But honestly, stimulation is an excellent word because it can it can be used for the good or the bad, but it's going to be used either way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what are some ways as fathers that we can obviously created in our own life we talked about but in our boys you know girls might have a, a small need for that too but mm-hmm. obviously boys have a lot bigger need how do you get your boys to find that stimulation obstacle courses obstacle courses <laughs> tell me more that, that is it for my five-year-old if uh, if he's just bouncing off the wall one day uh, great let's let's go outside let's go have some fun get some sunlight on you set up an obstacle course where he has to you know, focus walking on the on the water hose. We don't have any extravagant equipment to do it with. We use his normal toys where he has to walk heel to toe on the water hose. And then he wow. has to pick up five pound weights and maybe do a few reps of something that, you know, it's difficult for a five-year-old to do. And then he has to figure out how to get, you know, his, his basketball from one side of the fence to the other with without taking a step. 
you know, so he has to figure out how he's going to do these different things, but it's ultimately just an obstacle course. Getting it. his little five-year-old brain fixated on something, and like I said, simulation is going to be used. It's either going to be used breaking the TV or getting stronger and you know more body aware. So obstacle courses are a big thing that that we do. So what's happening in a five-year-old's brain when they're being stimulated like that? What is what is the benefit or the after effect? That, that you've seen in your son as i'm sure everybody wants to call it adhd you know five-year-old boy want to bounce off the walls that's, that's what they do it's this i want my five-year-old going crazy i don't want him sitting still all day long in school right um but whenever he is fixated on something he's getting stimulated on it you see his tongue stick out a little bit you see his eyes kind of you know wide a little bit and you can see the gear spinning and even a little kid's head especially in a little kid's head you can see the gear spinning they're thinking hard he's focusing on something and he figures it out. So he's getting the self-confidence from that. He's getting the problem-solving skills from that. He's, he's getting his energy out in a really positive way, probably the most positive way to get it out. He's solving a real problem. And I think those kind of things are going to carry on later in his life, too, of I can solve problems. I can do hard that's things. huge. Problem-solving is huge. I mean, that's what business owners and entrepreneurs do. They solve problems. So we forget as fathers that in everyday normal life, we bring in our kids alongside us, we can hand them problems to solve. Mm-hmm. Small problems, and they get reps, right? Hundreds, thousands of reps of solving a problem. I love to say to my kids, make it happen, figure it out. And they walk away. And nine times out of 10, they do that. Might That's take them five minutes, might take them five hours, and they love it. This is natural. There's a natural instinct inside of boys to solve problems. Yep. Uh, a big one we do with my son is uh, he's been getting himself dressed lately and his socks are on the top drawer. He cannot reach them. Figure it out. The Figure first out. time I told him, you know, you're getting yourself dressed this morning. I said, all right. I said, uh, he said, I can't reach my socks. Figure it out. You can reach all these other things all around the house. This is just in your room. It's It's just a different spot. Figure it out. And like I said, five minutes or five hours, it took him a few minutes, but eventually he came out with a pair of gloves that, you know, bless his heart, he thought were socks, but he got them out of the same drawer and exactly. sorry, son, those are gloves and go get socks. And Good try though. Yeah. You he, tried. He figured it out. He he was able to, to get to that top drawer and figure it out. It took him a little while, but he had to, he had to use his brain. He had to think, he had to go get a stool and take it in there and, oh, okay, this is how I do it. And it clicked. This is a massive problem in today's society with parents doing too much for their kids. I mean, massive Mm -hmm. because they turn into 16, 18, 20 year olds in college and they don't know how to pay a bill. They don't know how to, you know, change a tire or whatever it is. Um, The other morning, my 11 year old made eggs for the whole family and he cracked the first egg and it splattered all over my shirt. And something that I've realized as a father, is expect this, embrace it, challenge your children to do hard things, challenging things, make it happen, figure it out, and know that it's going to take three times as long. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be messy. But the confidence that they're building is absolutely priceless mm-hmm. because now my 13 year old, I rely on him. Like I don't have to think as much because I'm just like, you do it, you figure it out you know, back the truck up and hook up the trailer. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have to do that anymore. So I love that you're talking about this process because stimulation is kind of the, like you said, the scratch that needs to be itched. But the reason it's powerful is because we're building 
confidence. Mm-hmm. Building confidence is an entire, you could write an entire book on that with kids. And Actually, I love there are that tons of them written already. I love that you're doing this with a five-year-old because him as a 10, 12, 14 year old, it's going to be incredible to watch for you. Mm-hmm. So well done, man. Like I see that in my boys and I have to constantly remind myself to let them do it. Mm-hmm. Let them try. It's hard. It's really hard to, to, to let your kid try something and, and fail miserably at it. It's something you have relatively simple, you know, to us, but we've done it a thousand times and you know, we know right. how to put our socks on because we've been doing it, you know, for 30, 40, 50 years, we know what right. we're doing, but it's, it's hard to watch your kid do something and fail. And moms want to jump in and, you know, take care of their baby. Dads tend to see them fail. Like, what are you doing? Like, no, it's not right. how you Get do it. Yeah. We, we end up getting flat. mad first. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've had to learn to not laugh at him, but, you know, kind of chuckle like, <laughs> son, no, it's, it's not quite right. You know, maybe try this and, you know, just, just, probe a little bit just right. help a little bit if you know it's coming to a dead end and a halt and he's starting to get flustered and stuff all right let's take a breath and, you know figure it out this is not that big of a deal let's just take a step back figure it out now and so you can watch them go then go from being angry to take a breath reevaluate it okay now i can do it and that's something even adults are bad at doing you know like i just said dads we get mad at things moms want to fix everything so we have to take our step back on our own and let them fail. And that is not easy to do. It's really hard to do. And that's that's a big thing Apogee is, is big on is teaching through failure. Right. Without failure, you're never going to learn. And if you're not failing, you're, you're not trying. Right. How many businesses have people, you know, Bedros is big when he talks about businesses, he had fail. And like every great entrepreneur has talked about all the businesses they've had fail that you don't you don't succeed on the first one. And it's it's never going to happen that way. If it does, it's a it's a huge stroke of luck. Right. So you have to fail to learn these lessons. And kids are the exact same way. They they have to fail at figuring out how to put their shirt on before they get it right the next time. And they have to fail at, at putting their underwear on. They're going to be backwards most of the time. Like you said, it's going to be getting them to do things. It's going to take more time. It's going to be frustrating because their shoes are going to be on the wrong feet. But that, that's the only way they're going to learn. If you do it all for them, like you said, you're going to end up with a 20 year old kid that cannot do anything on their own. And that that is a huge fault on public schooling, but uh, even a, it's a, initially a fault on the parenting. Absolutely, you are in that's, charge that's of your kids the before before the school system is. We can talk forever about how bad public schooling is, but it's still your responsibility to educate your exactly. Child. Yeah, that's a cop out to blame mm-hmm. school mm-hmm. when the parents are supposed to parent, mm-hmm. right? Not society, not cell phones, not mm-hmm. the internet. It's the parents' responsibility. Mm-hmm. So let's stay on that failure topic for a minute because I love to talk about that. And you wrote something down about failure. Mm-hmm. So why don't you go ahead and share that? We were talking earlier. Failure is good. Um, I that is one of the notes. That's something I I wholeheartedly believe in. Is you can either, you can either learn from failure or you can get pissed off and quit. And if if you learn from your failure, you're going to be a lot better than somebody who doesn't fail. Um, David Goggins is a great example, the hardest man on earth. And he talks about the first time he tried to run, he couldn't make it a quarter mile and he walked home crying. And now he's running 250 miles at a time. But he failed the first time and realized, I don't ever want to feel that again. Right. I think I think men feel that too, is if you try something hard once and, it, and you fail at it, most men quit. But the great men try again. The great men show up the next day. That's one of the great things about jujitsu and starting out, you're, you're going to go unconscious the first first bunch of times you do it, but you're never going to get good at it if you quit. You're never going to get good at anything if you quit the first time you fail because you're, you're going to fail the first time. And if you quit after that, you're going to quit at everything forever and you're going to be okay with that. 
It's like it's designed that way, mm-hmm. right? Because when you get it, when you're the jujitsu master or whatever you guys call that, it that failure that it took to get there, I think, turns into humility. Mm-hmm. Because humility is required to keep what you've earned because we see people lose it all the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe it came too quick or too easy. And so, again, I just want to ask you, when you're thinking about your boys and raising them into great men, what what do you envision them to be 10 or 20 years from now? Like we're building these kids, mm. right? We're builders. We build our lives, we build our bodies, we build our marriages, we build our kids. Mm-hmm. And so you're building, right? You're building these kids into men. What is the man you want to see in them in the future? Triers. I want them to try at, at everything. I don't care what it is. Pry and give it your all. If it doesn't work, try something else. I just want them to try and not quit trying, not quit and just try. That is something I think everybody needs to take is just just try. Try anything, try everything. But you can't stay complacent. You can't you can't stay safe. You can't I guess you can. You can live a very sedentary and complacent safe life, but it's not going to yield great greatly for you. But I, I just want my boys to try. And everything they do, just try. I don't care what it is. Just give it your all and do not quit. If it's not for you, it's not for you. That That's something different. You know, not everybody's an artist, but everybody can try drawing. And that's, that's what I want for my boys, just to try and not quit. I love that. And what's going to happen if they try, let's say, eight sports, right, in the next 10 years rather than two? You're basically searching for something that's going to light a fire under them. You know, I was recently dealing with my oldest son, 15. We were looking for jobs for him, restaurants or busing tables, things like that. And the restaurants we kept going into would hire at 16. And it just wasn't, he just wasn't lit up about it. He was just doing it because I was challenging him to do it. But as soon as he thought of a kind of entrepreneur idea, to buy and sell used furniture, you know, fix it up, clean it, you know, make a small margin. Um, we spent 10 hours going around town buying cheap used furniture, you know, and I have never seen him on fire like he was. Mm-hmm. His wheels were spinning. He was spending his own money on this furniture. He was going to clean it, you know, with upholstery cleaner that he bought and resell it. And we all want that in our kids, right? Mm-hmm. We want to see a fire in their eyes. We want to see them ignited and lit up to the point where they're excited to get up the next day. Mm-hmm. They're excited to do their schooling or their athletics. Mm-hmm. And so part of that process is just doing a massive amount of trial and error. Mm-hmm. And failure is such a gift. Mm-hmm. And with... Along with uh, fixing up furniture, how many other valuable skills does he learn? Exactly. He learns how to you know, make a good sale, hustle a little bit, talk a good deal, negotiate a little bit. And then he learns you know, how to strap something in the back of the truck. Exactly. He learns how to, you know, how am I going to pick this couch up and get it home? How am I going to strap it down so it doesn't fly out on the freeway? Whenever I get it home, what's it going to need? Is it going to need new wood? Okay, how am I going to buy that wood? How am I going to measure it? How am I going to cut it? How am I going to stain it? How am I going to nail it back in place? Do I need, you know, nails or a screwdriver? What size do I need? Exactly. What kind of drill do I need? You learn all these other little bitty skills that you, you don't, you don't learn them without doing them. We're talking about fishing. If you don't, if you don't fish, you don't know how to fish. And one day you might need to know how to fish. 
if, if you don't if you don't ever use power tools and stuff, you don't ever make deals and negotiate. Someday you're, you're gonna have to buy a car one day, right? You you know, hopefully you've got some negotiating skills to do that, right? The boldness, exactly. Yeah, just just the willingness to try at something, even if it doesn't work, you have to be willing to try it because you're gonna learn so many other little bitty skills along the way that you weren't even thinking about, but now you know how to do these little things because you did them while you were trying to do something else, right? And something I've learned that's been super powerful for me, especially with two teenagers and any age kid that I learned from my coach is let life do the teaching. Mm. So you bring your child into an environment and then you can just step back and do nothing, right? Whether it's getting them in jujitsu or helping them start their own business. Not that you're doing nothing, but you're like my 11 year old mows lawns. Mm. You know, he has two lawns he takes care of every month, every week, you know, and I get him there. I help him mow it because he's 11, his arms get tired, but he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's learning the lesson through life that I don't have to teach him because by him doing it, he's catching that lesson. Mm-hmm. And so I think something that fathers might need to hear is that it's not all up to us to teach them everything. Right. We, we walk alongside them and give them opportunities. And then we step back and let life do the teaching. You walk into that restaurant and ask for the manager. You call and follow up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I think you just said it perfectly. We we provide them the opportunity to take that risk. We, like I said, we set the stage for them. You know, we, we coach them up on, hey, you know, talk to the manager. Here's what you should say. Here, right. Here's how the conversation is probably going to go. So you, you set them up for success in that area, but you're not walking in there. Hey, you know, manager, come here. My son wants a job. You know, no, no, no. You're, you're giving them the opportunity to, to take that bold step. I like the way you put that yet. Yeah, you have to, you have to provide them the opportunity and then let them, you know, take it and run with it. You have to, you have to provide them the platform to try or else they're probably not going to. But if if we as men, you know, put the building blocks in front of them and let them build on top of that, and we as fathers do that, I think we'd be really surprised at what our kids are capable of. Exactly. Are you familiar with the book, Do Hard Things? Yes. Okay, great, great. I just started reading that because Matt pointed out. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was written by the, the twin yeah. teenagers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just started it. Yeah, powerful. so there you go. That's a resource for those listening is, I, I don't know the names of the authors, but they're twins. Mm-hmm. They think they were 17. They wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Do hard things, the red cover. And my son's read that. Right. And it's an excellent book. Yep. There is no reason that young people cannot do big things. Mm-hmm. And it's about lighting that fire mm-hmm. and finding their calling, their gifting. You know, they might be an athlete, they might be an artist, mm-hmm. they might be great at well, they are great at something. Mm-hmm. Let's find it. Yep. We have to give try them- a whole bunch of things. We have to give them the opportunity to try all these things to figure it out. And, and dads are really bad about this, especially especially like where I came from. We all want our boys to be great at football. You might not like football at all. Exactly. So if you're gonna you're gonna push them, you know that's where you hear about you know kids getting burnt out on sports. We can't we can't force what we want our kids to be great at. We have to provide them all these different opportunities and let them figure out what they're great at, or else it's gonna end up building uh, resentment kind of from the the kids towards the parents. You, you, like you said, you have to give them the opportunities to figure out what they like, what they what lights their fire for them, what gets them excited, what makes them want to wake up, what makes them want to live and, you know, try at something and, and give it their all, dedicate their life to. It, it has to be something that you provided the opportunity for. 
And I think that requires flexibility mm. on a parent's end. Because I've had situations where I've said something to my son, like, here's what I expect, and this is what we're going to do for you. And then it's not clicking. And guess what? I'm the CEO. I'm the owner in the home. I'm the parent. I get to change my mind. Mm-hmm. It isn't weakness. It isn't me letting him off easy. Mm-hmm. It's called switching it up, mm-hmm. changing gears, mm-hmm. looking at it a little bit differently. Because again, we're searching right for that thing that's going to allow them to take off and do it mm-hmm. and build their own self-confidence. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, speaking of teenagers, you are now at a point in your life where you're actually, we talked about giving back, mm-hmm. right? And how men are called to be leaders, first to lead themselves for the purpose of having the capacity to benefit others. Mm-hmm. Obviously, our wives and our children first, but then our community and our world. So you're already at that stage where you have had a uh, a vision for teenage boys. So talk to us about the program that you're building right now. So the program is the High Caliber Men program. Um, it's going to be a six-month program where we focus on eight traits to develop. Discipline, education, honor and integrity, protector, provider, compassion and leadership are going to be the traits we focus on to become a high caliber man. Essentially, it all ends up being a leadership program, but it's all about trait development. If you can develop the first five, you're going to be a great leader. And like you said, men, we're, we're leaders. We're meant to be leaders all throughout human history through I, religiously and non-religiously. Men are the leaders. That's the way it is. That's the way it's always going to be. So we might want to start doing it on purpose and getting intentional about building leaders or else, you know, we're going to keep going down this negative rabbit hole. And it's a group uh, very much like Apogee to just hold young men accountable, get young men together with other like-minded men who want to do better, who want to be better, who want to set themselves up for success by becoming a high caliber man. That That's what it's really all about. And uh, I don't want to see more teenagers struggle the way I did getting lost because if you can find your way earlier in life, it's only going to be better for you. And if you can start that at a young age, trying new things, developing these traits, learning what it means to be disciplined and educated and living with compassion and stuff. If you can start these things earlier, you're you're going to be better. It's a lot easier to learn these lessons, you know, from the 13 to 18 age range than, you know, 35. That, exactly. that is a really difficult world to step into whenever you're already ingrained in the mundane life. And, you know, we love our families, but, you know, on that journey, they essentially drag you down. It's a lot harder to focus on yourself whenever you're having to provide for everybody else. And you're having to focus on everybody else because you are a good husband. It's a lot harder to focus on yourself. So if we can stop the trend of broken men before they ever get broken, right? That is solving the issue at the at the root. Powerful. Yeah, that that's stopping the cancer before it spreads. So if we can start with the young men and fix what they're going through and not fix them, but just guide them, steer them right. along, point them in the right directions, give them the mentors they need. We're going to, we're going to see these types of groups like the Apogee and, you know, hopefully the high caliber. We're going to see them pay dividends in the next generation because whether we like it or not, and as much as people want to just gripe about this younger generation, there are future leaders and we can either gripe about them and we can dog on them and we can, you know, just, dog on them forever, or we can build them up. And there's there's two ways we can take this. We can keep telling them they're useless, they're no good, you know, they're addicted to their phones, this and that, they're no good but trouble. Or we can take them under our wing, we can develop them, we can build them, we can put some trust and faith in them, we can give them responsibilities, we can give them a chance to 
prove to the world what they're capable of because they're just as capable as every generation before then they just haven't been given the opportunities to do it and if we can give them the opportunities to do that they're still strong powerful young men they just need a chance to prove it that's powerful and the ability for them to be seen and to be believed in mm-hmm. you know i remember being 15 and my youth pastor believed in me mm-hmm. and i had no clue how powerful that was at the time in my dad too my mom of course too but to be believed in mm-hmm. to be told that there's greatness inside of you as a teenager is huge mm-hmm. because there is that instinctual you know spot inside of us as men want to be called to a great thing and man that's so cool that you're doing that and so tell us a little bit more about how it will work is it going to be mostly a virtual thing so yeah it'll be it'll be online we'll have our own you know platforms and stuff to to speak on just just us in the group it'll be online there will be some in-person stuff in austin if you're local to that area um if not most of it's going to be done online anyways um through instagram and different places like that most mostly online yeah how do they find you on Instagram? On Instagram at, at highcaliber.men is the Instagram. At highcaliber.men. Yes. Excellent. And do you have a website yet? Not yet. Not okay. yet. We're just going straight through Instagram right now. Um, that's where we're at now. Excellent. So there you go. There's another resource for you guys. Do you have a launch date or? January 24. Okay. That's that's what we're shooting and for. And how many boys are you trying to get? On- as many as we can get. Yeah. Um, doing it online i don't see there being a cap issue with it as many as we can get love it if it fits 10 we can impact great if it's ten thousand, even better but if it's one that's fine uh just there is no cap on it it's as many as we can reach as many that are willing to you know put the effort in and a lot of it falls on the parents as many of them you know young men that want to do great things if if they have the parents that are willing you know to, to help them with it and push them along on the journey with it you know even better i love it this is great, man. We talked about a lot of things. We covered a lot of ground. But what would your best message be to the fathers listening? Just an overall Darren Hazel summary of your kind of your your belief, your mission, and maybe a challenge to the dads listening. Uh, get fit first off. Um, fitness is your responsibility, and it, it doesn't take much. You don't have to run marathons. You you don't have to you know bench press five hundred pounds, but you should be able to do push ups. You should be able to run a little bit. Get fit. Be present with your kids and try with them. It's okay to shift. It's okay to change your mind, like we were talking about. What what you're saying is not set in stone. You don't know what you're doing as a dad. Nobody does. That's why we have other men that we can fall on, that we can pick their brains, that we can try from podcasts like this. You can take bits and pieces from everybody. So educate yourselves, get fit, and try. Love those it. are the those are the, definitely the, the three biggest things. Get fit, educate yourself, and try. We don't yeah. know what we're doing as, as dads. We we can't let our ego get in the way and pretend we do know what we're doing. We we're all we're all growing up with our kids. We're all learning all the time. Right. But like you said, that first step. Right. That first weight at the gym is mm-hmm. the door handle. Yep. And man, your life, Darren, has been a great example of hard work paying off. And it's amazing to see. I really appreciate you sharing your message. And so those listening, check out highcaliber.men on Instagram. Stay tuned for what Darren's doing. He's, he's changing lives. And this is what it's all about. We need to lead ourselves. We need to lead our families. And then we need to lead our community. So thank you for your time, Darren. This was really fun. I know we're going to be staying in touch. And uh, iron sharpens iron. Yeah. So 
Thank yeah. you. Thank you for having me on here. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate you giving me the, uh, the platform to speak on. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Fathers of Greatness podcast. If this has inspired you, please be sure to share it with three to five people. Until next time, thanks for listening.